Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, this uh, today is another in a series that I'm doing on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus's main uh, wisdom teaching in the Bible, where the Beatitudes, which is the first bit of the Sermon on the Mount, present a picture who's someone, of someone who's embodying that wisdom. Um, if you want to hear others, you can download the Aspen Chapel podcast uh, from Apple or Google Play uh, and check it out, or our YouTube channel as well. You can see the messages there. Jesus starts the Beatitudes with the importance of not knowing. You know, wisdom cannot enter into those who think they already know. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Um, and after that, opening ourselves to not knowing, we recognize the lack of the divine in ourselves, and therefore we're called to seek it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. And then recognizing our poverty, we eschew violence and our desire to make things go our way. Blessed are the meek. And then we seek a right relationship with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And we show compassion to open up our experience of oneness. Blessed are the merciful. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Only really an inner attention will enable us to see the true nature of reality. And then last week, we looked at blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God, coming from that universal mind rather than the rational mind. And today is the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Not the most appealing of the Beatitudes, and obviously it's quite difficult, because it seems hard to say fortunate to those who are persecuted, but also uh, because of that persecution, you know, they'll in some way have a more real experience of the world being a heavenly place. It doesn't necessarily immediately follow. And I think we have to look at, at you know, the reality of life in Palestine all those years ago um, to see that when you didn't conform to religious norms, uh, then trouble definitely came your way. And Jesus is really giving a context for that trouble that was going to, to come, whether it's against Caesar or against the Jews. If you went the wrong way, you were going to be in trouble. And he's setting a context for that. But it, it was ever thus and continues to be so. You know, we see uh, both the church pillaging and burning those who don't agree with it, and also people pillaging and burning uh, people of other faiths uh, rather than their own. I'm always struck with that image from uh, the film, The Mission, uh, with Jeremy Irons carrying the cross alongside his new disciples as the bullets from the attackers, the church, rain down on them. He's carrying that cross as he goes along in that film, The Mission, being persecuted uh, for their beliefs. And it's a, it's a real problem in the world today. Uh, religious intolerance is at the heart of so many issues. Intolerance here in the United States 
from one particular brand of Christianity against another or one religion against another. Uh, Christians and Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus, all religion in China, Protestants, Catholics, you know, it's a mess wherever you look. Um, The Dalai Lama says in the book, The Good Heart, some people believe that the most reasonable way to attain harmony and solve the problems related to religious intolerance is to establish one universal religion for everyone. However, the Dalai Lama says, I've always felt that we should have different religious traditions because human beings possess so many different mental dispositions. One religion simply cannot satisfy the needs of such a variety of people. Consequently, he says, people of every tradition must take an extra effort to try and transcend intolerance and misunderstanding and to seek harmony. And of course, it's not just about persecution because of religious intolerance. It's about all persecution, be that because of the color of someone's skin or their gender or their sexual orientation or their politics. We're talking about the whole nature of persecution here. And we are, to a lesser degree or a greater degree, subject to it and also all of us guilty of it. But why blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for their righteousness or because of their beliefs? Why are they blessed? I can only imagine it's because through persecution, it puts you in a unique position to experience life in a way that forces you into a place where you either have to give in and take up violence, uh, you know, the violence that's at the heart of persecution, or you have to take the spiritual path and go into a different direction. As Michelle Obama says, when they go lower, we go higher. That's that moving towards that spiritual tradition. And all the great leaders that I was talking about last week, Gandhi, Mandela, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, and of course, Dr. King, uh, all took the path that led them to peace rather than violence. Their greatness came out of their persecution. You know, that's not to say I think we should welcome persecution, just that persecution gives us an opportunity for greatness, achieving the kingdom of heaven. And the Beatitudes takes us on that path that prepares us for that persecution. You know, we, we, we begin with that not knowing, craving for the touch of the divine, meekness, striving for a right relationship with life, having compassion, seeing the world as one, and seeking peace within ourselves. That, that's the journey of the Beatitudes. And only when we've done that can we actually see persecution as a way to experience the heaven uh, that's the rightful perspective on earth. It doesn't make any sense unless you've taken that journey. But of course, our role is also to root out persecution wherever it exists and try to alleviate it. And in some cases, we'll be persecuted for that. Issues of law and order, historical prejudice, and innate judgmentalism force 
even the defense of naked injustice as something that can elicit persecution. And you can only say fortunate are the persecuted in terms of those whose lives have reached a degree of clarity and focus that even the direst of circumstances, within the direst of those circumstances, they can create value. Viktor Frankl wrote of his time in Nazi concentration camps. We who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And Bruno Bettelheim, who wrote The Informed Heart, about his time in Dachau and Buchenwald, the Nazi concentration camps, he wrote, if we hope to live not just from moment to moment, but in true consciousness of our existence, then our greatest need and most difficult achievement is to find meaning in our lives. I much prefer the idea that he should hate me rather than himself. He should hate me rather than himself. Or I can never hurt him as much as he hurts himself. In those two people, we see those extreme persecution rising in their souls to meet the best that exists in life. Fortunate are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the fact that persecution exists in the first place is an affront to the dignity of all humanity. And we're now in a place where we can see the nature of that persecution and we have an opportunity to speak out against it, whether or not that leads to more persecution for ourselves. Because we see that such persecution has no place in a community that's based on compassion. Uh, Bethlehem says, um, the second of those witnesses from concentration camps, he says, heart and reason can no longer be kept in their separate places. The daring heart must invade reason with its own living warmth, even if the symmetry of reason must also give way to admit love and the pulsation of life. And surely this is what Jesus means by the heavenly reward, love and the full pulsation of life, the throbbing heart of the soul, overcoming the mind and tipping us into heaven. And that's why he says, fortunate are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because it forces the heart to invade the mind. It forces the heart to invade reason, because it finds reason so unreasonable in the face of persecution. And it is forced to invade the mind and create a true understanding of the nature in life. The only worthwhile response to persecution is love, is for the heart to invade the mind. Dr. King said 
Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence and toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. So Dr. King goes on, when Jesus says love your enemies, he is setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admission. When the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time you must not do it. There will come a time in many instances when the person who you hate most, who hates you most rather, the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you the most, the person who has gossiped about you the most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have the opportunity to defeat that person and instead you must love. It might be in terms of the recommendation for a job. It might be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That is the time you must love. That is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, Dr. King says, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It is not merely an emotional something. Love is creative understanding of goodwill to all men. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love, but you seek to defeat the system. There in Dr. King is a man seeing heaven in the face of persecution. Blessed are those who persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is a high calling to reach heaven in the face of persecution. But in this beatitude, Jesus was giving those who face it a roadmap of how to confront the situation. He's saying that your love will defeat the situation that's brought about the persecution in the first place. And through loving, you'll see the world as it's meant to be seen, heaven being this world truly seen. And how, you know, are we who have seen so little persecution expected to relate to such an intense calling? What is it to us who by and large are not persecuted? How do we relate to this? Well, I think we have to start with our own lives. Uh, with the unfairness that all of us face at different times in our lives, when something's done to us, when there is meanness or rumors spread, that's the time, you know, when we're unfairly blamed. You know, then Dr. King says we must show love, compassion and tolerance. That's the way to defeat our persecutors. I remember in London once I, I was, you know, got into a taxi And this taxi driver was the rudest man I'd ever met. He was a constant stream of rudeness and abuse from the place I went to to the place I was going to. And I was stunned by this. I didn't know quite how to relate to it. And, you know, I could feel the anger burning up in me. But in the end, uh, when I got out of the car, I gave him his five pounds for the journey. And then I gave him a tip of 20 pounds. And he just, his face just didn't understand. It was like pouring hot coals on his head. He couldn't understand it. He learned something, I hope, from that. We have to recognize persecution when we see it and call it 
when we see it. We have to see that in some cases, as uh, Dr. King says, in some cases, Jesus eloquently affirms from the cross, Dr. King says, a higher law. He knew that the old eye for an eye philosophy, Dr. King says of Jesus, would end up leaving everybody blind. He did not seek to overcome evil with evil. He, Jesus, overcame evil with good. Although crucified by hate, he responded with radical love, a higher law. And we have to see that higher law when we look out and disapprove of behavior that's come from years of oppression, poverty, and persecution. We cannot hold everybody up to the standards that Jesus is talking about here, but we can hold ourselves up to the standard that recognizes injustice and persecution as playing no part in the kingdom of heaven. And if heaven is this world clearly seen, then having no part in this world. Our role is to stand up to injustice, however old that injustice may be in all forms, to promote the equality of all living beings and to see the world through the eyes of the oppressed so that we can respond in the way that Jesus is asking us to here. In this last beatitude, Jesus is saying that if you truly see the world as one, if you have compassion, if you recognize the need for meekness and you seek a right relationship with God, but not knowing how that might look, then the pain of the oppressed is your pain. Then the hand of the persecutor is your hand and you have, you'd better do something about it. Yeah, I love that quote that Heather uh, quoted yesterday from Francis of Assisi's prayer. It just speaks into it so beautifully. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console not to be understood as to understand, not to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive and in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying that we're born to eternal life. That's the journey that Jesus is asking us to take in this last beatitude. He's not saying that it's good to be persecuted. He's giving those who are persecuted a way of dealing with it. And it's up to us to make sure that fewer and fewer people have to use it. So any, any thoughts about that from you? <laughs> well, the very striking thought is, is how little we are persecuted compared to, or speaking for myself, compared to the immense persecution going on everywhere all over the world, yeah. number one. And yet um, how you know, there are some, some lives that we can really glean wisdom from, like you mentioned Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and people. And, and you know, it's upon us to, to really draw from, from their lives and, and see what we can learn. And it made me think a lot of uh, Etty Hillesum, the Dutch Jew who um, died in Auschwitz. And she's been a massive inspiration to me 
in, in my life of um she wrote diaries for the for the two years leading up to her death and it shows the amazing interior journey that she went on from being quite kind of stuck in her you know small constricted self in a way to becoming this extremely expansive loving uh amazing example of someone who's just living out of that that uh deep sense of unity and humanity where all she could do was just love humanity itself through and through she's been a really amazing example to me i i did write down just a couple of things that she she um said uh that apparently the very last thing that she um that was found of hers that she wrote was a postcard that she that was found out of the train where um she just wrote we left the camp singing and her life was just this journey into freedom right in the midst of persecution she wrote um do not relieve your feelings through hatred saying that to herself god do not let me dissipate my strength not the least bit of strength against these soldiers she refused to hate anyone um she refused to become embittered and she wrote i have a growing need to speak to you alone god alone i love people so terribly because in every human being i love something of you and i seek you everywhere in them and i often do find something of you in the people that were persecuting her that's etty hillison etty hillison yeah just get that so <laughs> yeah. people may and, want to look it up and she wrote she wrote um the the diary is called an interrupt an interrupted yeah. life very inspiring. I mean I think you're right though. You know, we have our little upsets and you know, we complain about things whether it be personal or political or whatever, but it's absolutely nothing compared to the experience of people who are, you know, oppressed all over the world. People who are put in camps uh for their religions, people who are persecuted for the color of their skin, for their sexuality, uh completely downtrodden for those reasons. And you know, it it asking you know that those are the people that Jesus is speaking to now you know and he's asking people to take that route that that um uh, Etty Hillisum's taking and also I was very interesting was Dr King is saying he say like Etty Hillisum he's saying it's not about the individuals it's about the system and that love can overcome the system rather than the individuals yeah and in all of the, the people that you mentioned who are great examples of this yeah. to us and who lived the truth of that beatitude um it's it's their absolute commitment to compassion to yeah. compassionate seeing isn't it yeah and um uh, an absolute commitment to not hate yeah and that that's what's so inspiring i also read this morning just this little quote from cynthia bergeau who puts it like this when the field of vision has been unified the inner being comes to rest and that inner peaceableness flows into the outer world as harmony and compassion yes Yes. And I think it's interesting that this idea of persecution, you know, we think of persecution as being, you know, subjugation from one human being to another, but when it relates to us, we also do feel that persecution from when our health goes wrong, when we lose all our money. In fact, we're persecuted by circumstances in many different uh, uh, areas. And this is really saying that when you are persecuted by circumstances, then if you can take the wider perspective then there is an opportunity to experience the heavenliness of all things even with that persecution that's coming your way. Yeah, like we have to start with our our small persecutions. We can't, you know, don't we yeah. we have to start where we are. And it seems to me by that like even in that little quote that um 
that we just have to ease into the spaciousness of our being because within that beingness itself is the resources yeah. to, to be like that. I've got this lovely a quote from the Dalai Lama, um, looking at the, the, you know, the dealing with uh, persecution and pain that comes our way. Um, and he says, after you've reflected on the virtues of tolerance and patience and feel convinced of the need to develop and enhance them within you, you should look then at different types of levels of patience and tolerance. For example, he says in the Buddhist text, there are three types of tolerance and patience described. The first type is the state of resolute indifference. One is able to bear the pain or suffering and not to be overwhelmed by it. That's the first level. In the second state, one is not only able to bear the suffering, but is also, if necessary, prepared and even willing to take upon oneself the hardships, pain and suffering that are involved in the spiritual path. This involves a voluntary acceptance of hardships for a higher purpose. And the third is a type of patience and tolerance arising from a sound conviction about the nature of reality. In the context of Christian practice, this kind of patience would be based on a firm faith and a belief in the mysteries of the creation. Although the distinction between these three levels of tolerance are found in Buddhist texts, they are also applicable in the Christian context. This is especially true of the second type of tolerance and patience, deliberately taking upon yourself hardships and pains that are involved in the spiritual path, which seems to come up in the Beatitudes. So he's particularly relating this to the Beatitudes. It seems to me that relates to what Etty Hillison is doing there as well. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.